We continue worshiping God together as we come to the second lesson, our preaching text today from Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in the 10th verse. Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore." having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, that to that end keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that the Word may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. This is the gospel of the Lord. When I first titled this sermon some weeks ago now, that we'd need armor during summer vacation, I had no idea that the poignancy of that phrase on a week and weeks like these last two that have been so difficult in the world around us that it would be so clear uh, our need for protection, in particular, God's protection. We often just think of summer, and that has been confronted so vividly in the news recently, as a time for fun. Maybe... Uh, going on a trip and catching a roller coaster. But even that roller coaster gives you a clue of what's to come when you're invited to, you know, not to forget to put the bar up, right, on your lap. But you know something more is coming when you get on the roller coaster and there are shoulder straps that come down over your head and there's all these announcements about don't have anything in your pockets, right? Something more is coming then. It's a preparation for what is to come. When I was a a football coach, when we moved from spring practice with shorts and t-shirts to distributing pads to our players, uh, they knew that next practice, something more was about to take place. And even... When we think about difficult days or tragedies, when there's a bad guy who shows up on the scene with body armor, we know that uh, something more is 
about to happen. You see, this armor lets us know about the kind of life, the kind of life we are invited to live that is coming. The kind of life that tells us something big is about to happen. It's really in verses 10, 11, and 12, our why for what we are to put on. What is our why? To steal a common phrase today. It's a battle with spiritual forces that go beyond just flesh and blood. It's battle with the evil one, Satan himself. Indeed, this battle is real. And some of you say, well, I I stopped believing in the devil when I was in third grade. And we do that to our own peril when we don't recognize the enemy before us. We can see in human history that despite the modern era in the last couple of hundred years and all that we've learned and gained, it does not, by human effort, vanquish evil. Ultimately, that evil must be vanquished by God and God alone through the work of Christ. And what we learn in the text today is that battle has been ultimately won on the cross and it will be finally won when Christ comes again. But until then, we need to remember what we've been learning in the book of Ephesians. I like how Ruth Paxson has summarized the book that we've just spent so much time in. The first three chapters, she says, using some alliteration, the are about our wealth. That is our wealth in the identity that we have in Christ, what God has done for us. But then beginning in chapter 4 and until chapter 6, verse 9, we learn about our walk. From our wealth to our walk. And you and I, we've learned about that together as we've heard that phrase and studied what it means to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. But now at the end of the chapter, beginning in verse 10, there's a new clarion call for that walk, and it's warfare. From wealth to walk to warfare. It's an answer to the reality of the world as it really is. And the image that you see on the screen from uh, our own Ruth Ronan, who took it there in Ephesus, it is a letter most certainly written to a time and place and to God's word speaking to his church then, but his word is still speaking to another time and place to us today in the real world that we live in. Fighting this spiritual battle. A battle that Christ has won, a battle that he is inviting us to stand firm on his behalf for. As Martin Luther wrote so aptly in that famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, he says, For still our ancient foe doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. That's why we don't end singing that hymn on that verse. Because... There are days that it feels like there is no equal to the evil around us. 
But what we discover in today's text is that there is indeed an answer. An answer that comes firmly and strongly for you and for me in whatever battle you might be facing, whether it be in your home or your workplace or with your health or in the world around us. There is evil and brokenness everywhere and we need the good news of the gospel. The gospel of peace as we'll hear in this text to break in to our lives and into our world. And so as one scholar pointed out, there are seven exhortations here to be strong, to put on, to take on or take up, to stand firm, to receive to pray and to keep alert. And Paul invites us, the agent that God used to give us his word, these exhortations not from the comfort of diplomatic immunity. No, he had no such thing. In fact, he was in chains as he wrote this for the sake of the gospel, an ambassador in chains. These exhortations come and begin in verse 10 when we're told to be strong. Now, you might hear that as a nice meme or a good phrase for a poster. Buck up. Time to be strong. And if you read it like that, you'd read it like most of us would. But you and I would be wrong. Because the text there is actually a passive verb. And so the invitation isn't to be strong, like, well, I guess I've, I got to work harder. I got to be stronger. This passive verb invites us as we read this text, we begin to find out, oh, it's not my strength. I'm invited to come into the strength of the Lord, in the Lord. Luther scholar Gishon will point out that every time you hear this phrase in this passage throughout Ephesians 6, in the Lord, it's a baptismal phrase. It's a reminder that you and I and all those who come baptized into Christ are in his identity. That that's where we get our strength. That's whose we are. It draws us back to Ephesians chapter 4 and even before where there's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. And so we are called to be strong, not by our power, but the strength we have in Him. We receive this gift. Whenever I read this text, I think of this story about Terry Schaefer, a young wife who she and her husband were in, living in Moline, Illinois. At a time, if you can believe it, when police officers were not given a standard issue bulletproof vests. And so for her husband, as a Christmas gift, she wanted to get him one. And so it was September and she thought she'd have to plan this out she went to the store where she could get one and met and visited with the clerk there only to discover that it was way beyond her budget. But by the grace of the store clerk knowing she was getting it for her police officer husband and they put a payment plan together and did some things and she was actually able to pick it up 
that day. And she could not contain her enthusiasm or her joy or keep the secret. So that September, he got his Christmas present. And thank God she gave it to him then because that next October, it would save his life. This armor that was beyond what uh, he could do to protect himself This gift that he received freely that was way beyond even his wife's budget. It begins to capture the passionate love of this couple, but also the passionate love that Paul is writing, the emotion that's coming through for the church. The armor tells us that this life that we're about to lead, that something big is coming. And it doesn't come to us by our power. This gift is something that we receive to deal with the difficulty that is to come, which is the Christian life. And so with that same emotional fervor, Paul wants us to be strong by putting on this armor. As Pastor Hiller wrote about this text, he says that at the time, in the first century there, Paul would have known and referenced this idea that when you put on a champion's armor, there was this thought that somehow you got their strength. But we know that what God is giving us here is no mere human champion's armor. This is in fact the armor of God. And what is to come? Well, the verse is there and that pretext tell us there's a struggle or it's sometimes translated wrestling. Scholar, Greek scholar William Klein puts it like this when he translates that word. He says it means literally a wrestling match. Others will note it's, it gets personal. It's hand-to-hand combat. It's not something far off, this battle that we are to wage. As that same scholar puts it, it gets in your face. And because it's in our face... We need to receive this gift so that we can be prepared to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so we get this exhortation to put on the full armor of God and we begin with the belt of truth. Now the belt of truth is interesting. If you think of as uh, they would have in the first century of all the Roman soldiers around them, whether it was in Ephesus or in Israel or in Rome itself, They'd have to put on a belt of truth to sink up their tunic so that they wouldn't trip when it came time for action. And so the belt of truth is to not let us forget to get tripped up by the false teachings that were then and are there still today to abandon the truth of the good news, the word of God. It's so easy for us to do that. Just this week, the chaplains of Harvard University voted unanimously to make Greg Epstein their chief chaplain. What's interesting about that is that Greg Epstein is an atheist. It's so easy for us to get tripped up and miss the truth, the hard and fast truth of God's word and of the gospel. 
in this secular age, it used to be that, that chaplains would come to bring the gospel to secular institutions and secular situations and to bring the hope that is the gospel into those difficult situations. But now the secular age is turning it topsy-turvy. We've gotten tricked up and stumbled. We've forgotten the belt of truth. And we've adopted in so many ways the false teaching of this world. But one thing to keep in mind is for us as Christians... Truth is not a thing to be grasped out there. It's a person. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Life. Jesus is the truth. And so when we gird ourselves with the belt of truth, we are once again not just downloading information. We are coming to the truth who is Jesus. But then we're invited in the same invitation to put on to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Now you should note that Paul isn't just thinking about Roman soldiers here. This is a good point to point out that he's also quoting that same breastplate of righteousness which is in the prophet Isaiah. I think it's in chapter 59. Where he talks about the breastplate of righteousness. The breastplate would cover the heart and the neck. And what is the righteousness that protects us? Once again, he's drawing the strings together of all that he's been writing in this letter. It's not our own. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are saved by grace through faith, not of our own works. It is, as he'll write in in Romans, it is the righteousness of God. It's not our own goodness. We walk in a manner of that goodness as a result of receiving that gift. And so we're protected as we walk in his truth and his righteousness. Once again, the person of Jesus. Whose righteousness? His but not only do we walk in a manner worthy of our calling as we hear in this season of warfare, we also now take a stand. And so we're called to stand. And we do that by strapping on the sandals or different translation shoes or boots. And those shoes or boots are cleated. Well, what they did in the first century is they put a nail in those sandals and so they would be anchored and ready for what is to come, the storm that comes at them. Again, from Charles Gisham, the verb histemi in Greek is an emphasis on standing fast and not to be knocked over by that which is coming at us because we have the full armor of God. It's a war that God has won on the cross but is yet to be complete until he comes again. And so we remember to take a stand because he has won this. It's his armor. And when we stand, we're sharing, and here's the great irony. With all this military language, we're sharing with the readiness to stand and share the gospel of peace. It's for you. We share it for 
others around us? Are we standing firm in our daily lives to share the gospel of peace in every time and season? Are we standing firm in his righteousness and truth? And then we're invited to take up the shield of faith. The shield of faith that protects us from the attacks of the evil one, the fiery darts of the evil one. Now, in that day and age, the picture of a shield was more like a door. About two and a half feet wide and about four and a half feet tall. And they'd take those shields or what seemed like doors and dip them in water. So that when those fiery darts of the enemy came at them, they'd be extinguished. It's the door of faith, the gift, once again, of faith that God gives us. As we've read in Ephesians. And so here the author, as one scholar points this out, wants us to understand that Jesus, the the nail that's rooting us in the ground, the door, the shield that's protecting us is rooted in Jesus. Or maybe even reminding us as the prophet will go on to say, and as we'll hear it in other places in the New Testament, and Isaiah will say, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. Two more pieces of equipment that we're called to put on, to take up, to literally the, the verb there is, once again, receive. It's given to us. And that is the helmet of salvation. We know a good headshot, if you get hit to the head, it's all over. And so we need protection. And the greatest protection is the salvation that Jesus has won for us on the cross. This is the gift of life. And then finally, the one somewhat offensive piece is really once again the very Spirit of God, which is the Word of God. Jesus is the Word made flesh. We have this Word that we're called to read and to reflect and lead us to repentance. And so in the midst of this life, this armor that we're called to put on that's gifted to us from God, we're called to keep alert and to pray, to pray for our sisters and brothers who are persecuted, to pray for those in need, to pray for our families, to pray for our fellow members of the body of Christ, to pray for the brokenness in the world, that that prayer is the key part of the battlefield that we are called to engage in. And this isn't your armor or my, it's issued by the king so that we can indeed walk in a manner worthy of our calling as children of light who are saved by grace. Yes, indeed, we've received this wealth of identity in Christ to be strengthened, to remember, to repent, to walk by putting on this armor and to read and reflect his word. And in the midst of the warfare that is this spiritual world that we face, we remember that we need to do it together, that this armor isn't just given to us individually. It's given to the church so that we have the capacity together to stand. 
by his grace and his peace. And maybe then as we come to the end of this roller coaster ride that is life, life that sometimes as you all feel and I feel sometimes feels like it's going uphill a long time. And it's hard. And when it starts going downhill, it starts going fast and much faster than maybe you feel comfortable with. And the turns that are coming in your life and in mine and most certainly we see in the world uh, seem like, is it going to go off the rail? And it feels scary and hard. But when we put on the full armor of God, we know that the victory is won, that God is with us. And maybe like a hero of mine once said, in his life, he said, maybe, just maybe, as that roller coaster comes to the end of its ride, we might just say, what a ride. And so we remember this calling. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. Amen.